Clicking on, there we go. Yep, recording now. <laughs> Great. Um, how many people here have had a dealing with a lawyer in their life? Anyone? Most people? Who likes lawyers? <laughs> I like lawyers. I've got some friends who are lawyers. Uh, in fact, one of my best friends is a lawyer. Um, but I often joke with, with him that lawyers can be some of the most annoying people in the world. <laughs> um, there's a great scene in The Simpsons. Has anyone watched The Simpsons ever? I think it's quite funny. Uh, we're just going to watch this now just to, uh, to show you this scene. just like when I grow up I'm gonna be a lawyer just like you good for you son if there's one thing America needs it's more lawyers can you imagine a world without lawyers <laughs> oh. there we go a little bit tongue-in-cheek um, but can you imagine a world without lawyers? Would it be a beautiful place? There'd be no nitpicking over little distinctions of words. Perhaps it would be a good place. Of course, it probably wouldn't. Lawyers have a very important job and they do a lot of good in our world too. Um, in our passage, it is a lawyer who asks this question to Jesus. It says that the lawyer came to him from among the Pharisees and asked this question to Jesus. He said, teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? This question and Jesus' answer are framing today what we're going to be looking at in this covenant day, this day where across the Salvation Army, across the country, people, this is an opportunity to renew our covenants with God at the start of this new year. It used to be called uh, Vision and Commitment Sunday. And we're still going to be doing a little bit of both of those things, thinking about the vision for the year ahead for us as a church. Um, and the spoiler at the start of this sermon is that the vision for this year is simply being faithful in our covenant with God. Where are we in this passage? Some people might know this passage. They've read it thousands of times. Maybe it's the first time that you've heard it. So I'm going to give a bit of background uh, to this. Chapter 22 in Matthew's Gospel obviously comes before chapter 21. <laughs> and in chapter 21, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. Jesus spent most of his life in Galilee, in the northern part of the Holy Land. But he's come in chapter 21 into Jerusalem, preparing to die on the cross. And in this chapter, he's hanging around the temple, the big place where the Jewish people uh, had, had built. This is where God dwelt. Uh, and he has a reputation already from Galilee as being a bit of a troublemaker, perhaps. And there are these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these people don't like him very much. They're both Jewish groups, but they, they have different emphases. They have different things that they think are important. Uh, and just before this passage, the Sadducees have had a go at Jesus. They, they, the Sadducees, they don't believe in life after death. And they're challenging Jesus. They say, well, we don't believe in life after death. What do you say? And it was their turn, if you like, to have a go at Jesus, to try and bring him down. And Jesus kind of deals with these Sadducees. 
Um, and we don't need to talk about that right now. But it's now the Pharisees who've looked at that. They say, well, Jesus has just dealt with these Sadducees. Well, it's our turn. And the Pharisees were the ones who really focused on the law, the Jewish law. So they say, well, right, it's our turn. We're going to have a go at getting this Jesus. He's getting a bit too big for his boots. And it says in verse 34, when the Pharisees had heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. It's our turn. We're going to get him now. We're going to stump him. And the question he asked is quite typical of this time. He asked this question, which is the greatest of the law? There was lots of debate going on among these these people. Anyone know, John mentioned it briefly earlier, how many laws were in the Jewish uh, scriptures that they had to to keep? 620. Not quite, 613. 613 laws. That's quite a lot of laws, isn't it? Uh, to keep. And Jesus' answer is also quite typical, in at least the first part is. He quotes from the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. Of course, there wasn't the New Testament then when Jesus was speaking. So he quoted from his scriptures. And he quoted from a very important part of the scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, uh, which says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And this is a very important verse for Jewish people. Have you ever seen um, in Jerusalem when Jewish people are praying by the, uh, the old temple wall? Anyone seen pictures of that? Uh, Orthodox Jewish people, they often have um, a box on the side of their um, arms and they have this verse in their arms because it's to remind them because this is this is what's called the Shema in Judaism and Orthodox Jewish people repeat this over and over again because it's such an important verse and Jesus so Jesus saying this wasn't much of a surprise so he said this is it the second uh, part of what he says does anyone know where that comes from not Deuteronomy but Leviticus and I'll read the whole Uh, thing here. Jesus doesn't quote the whole verse, but this verse says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus quotes these two verses and he said, and then he says this remarkable statement, on these two commandments hang all of the laws and the prophets. 613 laws that Jewish people have to think about every day about what they're doing. But Jesus basically says these can be summed up in these two commandments. It's like looking at a 200-page contract and a lawyer kind of saying, well, you've got all these laws to think about, but if you just do these two things, you've basically got it all covered, which is a remarkable thing to say. I used to have a T-shirt when I was growing up. I went to America when I was about 18 And I spent some time with a group of people uh, called Mission Year. And they used to get um, young Christians to come and give a year of their life. And they had a strap line which said this. Love God, love people, nothing else matters. (laughs) Which is quite, quite a cool little thing, isn't it? In some ways it's like, well, that's not very much. Nothing else matters. 
But actually what Jesus is saying in these two things, if you follow these two things, then everything else is covered. And believe me, those two things, they're not easy to do. In fact, we also have something. You might have seen it on some of our slides that we sometimes have. We inherited this from Gemma and Craig before us. And it's a similar type strap line. Love God, love others, make disciples. It's another kind of riff off that, I suppose. Um, What does this mean that Jesus is saying with this? And what does it mean for us as a church and as individuals as we look ahead? First thing I want to say is these, these two commands are separate commands, aren't they? Love God over here and love your neighbour. But at the same time, they're commands that cannot be separated, okay? It's a bit like the idea of the Trinity. Who's heard of the Trinity before? Anyone want to explain it? No? <laughs> Not particularly easy, is it? But we as Christians believe that there are three parts to who God is. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son. But also God is also one. God is three and one at the same time. It's a bit like this with these commandments. Brothers and sisters, you cannot love God without also loving your neighbour. And you cannot truly love your neighbour without loving God. And you know what? People do try perhaps and emphasise one of these over the others. In some churches, it's all about coming together and being a bit of a holy huddle. I remember when I was growing up in London, um, I was part of a Salvation Army church there. I had a job. And I realised one day, I kind of you know, looked at my life and what I did with my life. And I realised all I basically did with my spare time was church stuff. All I hung around were other people who were Christians. And I didn't have any friends who were Christians. And I want to challenge you today as a church, or if you're listening to this perhaps uh, on the record again uh, afterwards, if you're spending all of your time with people who are Christians, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) And this is coming from the church leader, so you have permission (laughs) to not just do everything in the church. Yes, of course, commit to coming to a small group. Commit to coming on a Sunday. These things are important. And in fact, this community that you're part of here today, this should be the most formative community that you're part of. But we gather as a church community to be sent out, don't we? I Maybe I can't remember if I've shared this before, that in another Salvation Army church I know of, they have this sign. You probably can't quite see it. But as you go out of the door, think of our doors outside. Above that door, they have a thing saying... You are now entering a place of worship. (laughs) Isn't that great? Of course, we worship God here together as a family, and this is so important. But out there on the street, in your neighbourhoods, these places are also places of worship. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, whenever you visit the sick, you welcome the stranger. You are doing it to me. Who is our neighbour? Well, of course, Jesus had something to say about that. And someone's going to have something to say about that in our parable series. I'm not going to go into the advice, um, uh, you know, specifically on that story. Jesus has a story, doesn't he, about who is our neighbour. And we're not going into that. But I'm going to say we shouldn't follow the advice, perhaps, of our Home Secretary, who recently, uh, after the bombing of the women's hospital, do you remember a few weeks ago, 
it was bombed, she gave the advice to say that we as Christians should be perhaps sceptical of people coming from other countries who maybe pretended to be Christians. As if we owe our love more to people who look like us and sound like us. Now, I am so pleased as I look around this room, we have people from all over the world. And this is a beautiful thing. And I want to just quote one thing from a a philosopher. And if you're worried, like, who is my neighbour? This is a question that Jesus was asked. Sometimes people ask it today. Who do I owe my love to? The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this, which I think is absolutely right. When you open the door which you shut in order to pray to God, the first person you meet as you go out is your neighbour, whom you shall love. The very first person you see in the street, that is who you should love. So on the one hand, some people, you can be a holy huddle on this side. Another aspect of this, sometimes people kind of say, well, let's, let's get rid of this holy huddle and let's go into the world. It's not important if we gather together and worship Jesus specifically. Let's just go and love our neighbours. And there's aspects, anyone heard of the emerging church movement, possibly? There's aspects of this that kind of talk about this and they say, well, let's go to the pub. We don't need to go to church. Let's go to the pub or let's go to our local community centres and do this. And I'm a bit worried, perhaps, about this because you maybe you end up being a bit more influenced by the pub than you influence the pub, perhaps. This is one of the things. And it is crucial that we gather together here on a Sunday or as a small group to explicitly worship God. We say a psalm, don't we, often at the beginning of our meetings. We pray together. We read scripture. And you also do this on your own, don't you? Those things are important. I said there were two commandments, but actually there were three, weren't there? Let's go back to Leviticus 18, 19. Jesus, it says, love your neighbour as yourself. Exactly. It's often pointed out, isn't it, in churches? I've heard it. But it's important to say again, as Christians, as people who worship Jesus... There's a temptation to react against the individualism of this world, isn't there? And perhaps think about, well, I've got to hate myself because I don't want to be too individualistic. But I'm going to hate myself, put myself into the ground, a bit like a a cringing worm. And that's not what Jesus says, is it? No. Yes, we avoid selfishness. We avoid trying to, to think about ourselves. But there's that famous phrase, isn't it? Not thinking less of yourself. But maybe thinking about yourself less. There's a great quote I'm going to read now from, from Rowan Williams, who was uh, thinking about his relationship with Desmond Tutu, who actually died recently, didn't he? Desmond Tutu died in recent weeks. And I love this. He says this. Sorry, it's a bit small, but I'll read it out. He says this, Rowan Williams. I have a theory which I started elaborating after I met Desmond Tutu a few times, that there are two kinds of egotists in this world. There are egotists who are so in love with themselves, they have no room for anybody else. And there are egotists who are so in love with themselves that they make it possible for everyone else to be in love with themselves. They are at home in their own skins. It doesn't mean that they are arrogant or self-obsessed or think they are faultless. 
They have learned to sense some of the joy that God takes in them. And in that sense, Desmond Tutu manifestly loves being Desmond Tutu. There is no doubt about that. But the effect of this is not to make me feel frozen or shrunk. It makes me feel that just possibly, by God's infinite grace, I could one day love being Rowan Williams in the same way that Desmond Tutu loves being Desmond Tutu. What a beautiful quote. Can we dare to love ourselves in that way? Not in a selfish way of wanting to bring everything to ourselves. It's all about me. But seeing how God loves you and you and you and you. And if God loves you, then you should love you. Can I love being Sam Tomlin in a way that makes you love being who you are? What we're left with after thinking about this is this beautiful cycle or rhythm of life following Jesus. We gather together on a Sunday or maybe during the week. And then we're sent out to our communities, our workplaces, our streets to love others, our neighbours, and taking care of ourselves as well. And we do this as a rhythm. It's not like one part is more important than the other, but loving God and loving neighbour, this going this beautiful cycle together. And this is the essence of our vision this year, I think, for Stonycroft Salvation Army. It may not sound like very much. And of course, we want to see... Old Swan, Liverpool taken for Jesus. We want to see people repenting in the streets. We want to see people freed from addictions. We do want to see all of these things. But brothers and sisters, none of that comes from our effort. As if we clench our fists tightly enough. If we're out enough evenings of the week. If we just make it happen. If we force our minds to believe that it will, then that will happen. No, that's not the way of Jesus. We are called to be faithful to God. To consecrate ourselves daily before him and respond to the needs of our neighbour. And you need to be involved in the lives of your neighbours to know them, (laughs) to be able to respond. Because we are called to be faithful because it's ultimately not up to us if revival comes to this world to this place and people come to faith and are free from addictions but it is ultimately up to God of course we have a role it's a weird paradox I don't know if if you know the word paradox if English, English is not the first language a paradox is something where two things they they seem to contradict each other they seem to be not able to come together but they do come together they they do come together it's a paradox that we do have a role to play Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't replace it. And some might say, well, if it's up to God, I can just sit back and do nothing. No. Our role is there, but our role is always a response to what God has done. We are not the initiators. We are not the starters of it. In Romans 5, Paul says, but God demonstrates his love for us like this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. This is where we get into this idea of covenant as I draw things to a close. And back to lawyers. We were talking about lawyers earlier on. John mentioned the idea of a contract earlier. And there is a kind of parallel 
But actually, there is a slight difference between a covenant and a contract. In a contract, a legal contract, it says, if you do X, I will do Y. You do this, and I'll do this. And if you don't do this, well, I will be free not to do this. In a covenant, if you enter a covenant, you commit to doing what you do, even if the other side doesn't commit to doing what they're doing or, or, or messes up. If you see these commandments of Jesus to love God and love neighbour in the framework of a contract, that will be a disaster. So many Christians that I've seen over the years exist in this framework. They think, well, if, if, if I hold up my side of the bargain, then God will love me. <laughs> or if I hold up my side of the bargain, then God will move powerfully and do this. That's not how a covenant works, everyone. In a covenant, we accept the truth that God loves us no matter what we've done. And he has shown this for each of us by sending his son to die for us. Do you know what? Human love will always, to some degree, let you down. Even those who love you most will let you down. This love of God will never let you down and we can rely on it. So we start on this premise that God's love for us is not in question. So in response, I will give my whole life for God. It's a story I heard a while ago where there was a man who was once in debt. Thousands of pounds, say, in debt. And uh, it was back in the day when if you were in debt, you would be taken to a court or you'd be taken to, to a place where... People could bid for your debt. And if they won that bid, then you effectively became their slave. You became um, indebted to them. You would have to do exactly what they said until you paid that debt off. And so this man was brought before the court or the, the, the auction house. And these people were bidding. They said, I'm going to buy this person's debt so that then this person will have to serve me as a slave. And as they're putting in the bids, the man is shouting, I will never do what you say. I will never follow you. Whoever gets this, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to kill myself or I'll do something else. And someone puts in the bid, £2,000, £5,000, £10,000. I'm never going to do it. I'm, you know, shouting, kind of trying to get his chains away. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And finally, someone buys his debt. And I said, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to serve you. And the first thing the man does when he receives the papers is rips them up. And he says to the man who is in chains, you're free to go. And in response, the man in chains falls on his knees and says, I will follow you wherever you go. I will serve you because I've seen that your way is beautiful. And it is the same in our relationship with God. God has shown us that he has loved us before we could even do anything. And in response, in covenant, not because we need to earn God's love, but we give our lives over to God in response to what he has done. A marriage is a covenant, isn't it? I will love you, these promises we make. I will love you no matter what. 
We make these promises, and of course there are some circumstances when it's difficult, and some sometimes when marriages do come to an end, but this is the spirit in which we enter into marriage if you are married. And it's why we make promises before the congregation, <laughs> so that we can hold each other to account. I've done two marriage courses with uh, people over the years, and I've said to them, you know, if ever you come to me and say, well, I just can't do it anymore, I'm going to hold you accountable to these promises you've made. I'm going to draw it to a close now. I'm going to ask you to respond in a moment. But in summary, love God and love neighbour. <laughs> On all of these things hang all three, 613 laws. And that is our simple focus this year, brothers and sisters. And I call you brothers and sisters because I love you, each and every one of you. Whether it's your first time or whether you've been here longer than I have. <laughs> This is what I want us to do this year, to commit ourselves to God every day when we wake up. Let us focus on our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And let us do so in the framework, not of a contract where we think we've got to do this in order to earn God's love, but in a response to what God has done for us. You've each got these covenant cards, and I'm going to just finish by reading this prayer, which if you have a pen, perhaps during the, the response song, you can sign this card as a commitment to your covenant this year to God. If you want, you can come to the mercy seat to do that, symbolically to come. It's not a magic place. But in the Salvation Army, over the years, people have come to the mercy seat as a, as a special place to symbolise their, their new recommitment to God. But you can do it in your seat. That's absolutely fine. It's not magic. <laughs> Let's just read this together. Loving Father, your love for me is unconditional and unceasing. The depth of your love is beyond my comprehension, but today I respond to that love. As your love lives in me, may my thoughts, my words and my actions reflect you at all times and in every place. May my soul be a place where we meet, where all that I am becomes all that you want me to be in heart, mind and spirit. That in being one with you, I might see you, know you and show you in every part of my life. That in me and through me your kingdom may now come. May this covenant of love draw me deeper and bring others closer to you. Amen. Ask John to come and uh, 